Malcolm Honline is executive vice chairman of the Conference of Presidents of Major American Jewish Organizations. Joins us for the weekly update here at JM in the AM. Mr. Honline, welcome back to JM in the AM. Boker to you. Wow, you're raring and ready to go. To I, think, I think that they really do need a cool show given the weather forecast. You could say that again, my gosh. Uh, well, let's start here um, in the U.S., in in New York, a woman named Alexandra Ocasio uh, Carter, I believe, twenty eight year old socialist, is how she's described by the press, defeated Joe Crowley, who literally could have been Speaker of the House uh, in Congress, and she's got some uh, disturbing views and some disturbing associations. I know you generally we 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 do not discuss quote unquote local politics, but just curious about your reaction to her election in the primary. Well, we don't know whether this really has national implications as yet. The turnout was, I think, below 5%. Wow. Wow. And the, um, you know, whether the candidate, uh, Mr. Crowley, really campaigned or took it seriously enough. We've seen it in the past. We're good friends, uh, very good and, and important leaders in the, the positions like his uh, to be the speaker. Um, did not campaign, took, took too much for granted, or um, didn't anticipate the outcome uh, correctly. Maybe their polling was off, and maybe just the expectation that everybody just thought he would win, that he was the third or fourth most powerful member of the House, and, as you said, a likely speaker right. to be defeated by a, an upstart, somebody whom nobody knows, uh, with very disturbing views. And it turns out that she didn't win from what I've heard, the Hispanic vote, and she won amongst millennials who have a small corner of the of the uh, district, and they turned out in big numbers and voted for her. She does have very disturbing views on Israel. She talked about Israel as being, um, as the events in Gaza, I think she said, used the word massacre. Right. And she earlier said other things. She's also has been identified with Linda Sassour and right. people like that. She's she's clearly articulate and, and uh, appears to be bright. I heard some of her interviews. But um, yeah, it's disturbing. And, and whether this reflects a trend that we're seeing where the two major parties, it was not the standard and established Republicans or Democrats who won so much as it was um, we're seeing increasing um, victories by upstarts, uh, the Sanders branch of the Democratic Party, let's say, and Trump of the Republican Party. But what's disturbing is to see the center being greatly diminished and the right and left being strengthened. And that's the pattern we saw in Europe. And now we're seeing it in the United States. And just so I I get it right, it's uh, Ocasio-Cortez. Cortez is the last name. Right. The 28-year-old. And... And when you say millennials, it's simply a case, again, from political science point of view, it's simply a case of people being fed up. If someone's in office, especially someone in office for quite a while and has a certain profile, it's just time to revolt and get rid of them. Well, I don't know if it's just if it's the years of service or the message. One who who was more established, she ran against on some of the immigration issues very strongly, complaining why he didn't work to dismantle some of the agencies involved, Uh, and that that seems to have been uh, a prime issue. Uh, The question is now: What happens uh, when she goes to Congress? Does she? is she open to being to being educated and to to learning about the issues and to? 
to especially you know for and in this disregard about Israel about some of the other things that uh, are important or is she really an ideologically oriented uh, political personality who has very set views and will continue and link up with some of the other radical or more radical, let's say, members of Congress, those who are getting elected and those who have been elected. Um, by the way, those of you listening outside of New York, when Malcolm says when she goes to Congress, he means it because a lot of people would say, what do you mean? She just won the primary and not the general election. But we know in New York, 99% of the time you win the primary as a Democrat, uh, you will, of course, be an automatic in the general election. And, and Crowley already endorsed her, so the, the thought that some had that you'd run, you could run as a Republican or run in the... Uh, or, or somebody else be run, running, uh, it is certainly there will be a Republican candidate. Right. I don't know if it's a good one or not. Yeah, he has himself to blame for that, because in the debate, he made a pledge that if she wins, he will uh, he will endorse her, so he has himself to blame for that. Um, the um, the anti-BDS bill, right, staying here in the U.S. for a second, got to explain it to us. The, the Congress actually will will ho- hopefully pass a bill that means what with the title anti BDS? What will it what will it actually uh, accomplish? What will it what will it say? Well first of all it, it will try to coordinate all the uh, state legislation uh, and it will uh you can't outlaw right, that's uh, people's what I point of view. But right. you can uh, say that universities, others, it can affect, become a, a tool for uh, implementation by local officials, by uh, education. And we one, one of the things that we've been working on is trying to standardize the definition even of anti-Semitism and BDS. So this would say that countries or companies that engage in BDS can't do government uh, contracts or other things. Those are usually, that's usually the content of uh, such legislation. And it has a good chance of passing? I think so. Oh. So. But look, we have now bills in, I think, 30-plus states, and I think that's uh, an important statement. So it's very similar to those, meaning that, you know, there's government contracts and and different rights. So it would be a different – it would be the same thing but on a federal level, so to speak. Right, and it would would, – um, coordinate the legislation, so cross-state stuff and, and help clear up some of the confusion. What did you hear about the uh, President Trump meeting with King Abdullah II of Jordan? Well, King Abdullah is in a very difficult situation. He is, uh, his internal um, situation, as you know, we've discussed this for several weeks about the demonstrations, the ongoing demonstrations. That some of the Arab countries put up some money, not as much as they announced the $28 billion, um, uh, but only about $15 million actually went to the government. Most of it went to guarantees at the World Bank and to the Central Bank of Jordan, all of which is important. But um, he, I think he came here on several grounds. One is to get increased assistance. Uh, two is that there were questions about military aid uh, to to Jordan, and it is in a very difficult situation having hosted and, and hosting um, a million and a half refugees, uh, people from Syria. They, they have now closed the border. Uh, Syria's army is bombing along the Jordanian border right now. In the last uh, three days, actually, and the uh, so the that situation is tense, and you know some of the Arab countries are angry at him because he didn't join in some of the activities in which they had invited him to be part of, like the war in Yemen, 
there are a lot of issues, but most of all, the stability of the regime is critical. It's critical to Israel. It's critical to the region. If, if uh, Jordan falls, the government of Jordan falls, it would put Iran right on Israel's border because the only thing between them is, is Iraq and and um, and Jordan. And Iraq today is under heavy Iranian influence. So essentially, you'd be removing this buffer area. And Israel, as you know, is very heavily invested in the security of the, of Jordan in help trying to stabilize the king, things that he can't acknowledge publicly and shouldn't. But the, the situation is of grave concern to everyone because, uh, he, you know, he the majority of the population is Palestinian, 65%. And he has always to do this balancing act with the Muslim Brotherhood being present, with other groups, with infiltration, and even reports that the Iranians are, are moving into destabilize the regime. So when we hear about Turkey moving into quote-unquote East Jerusalem or having additional influence or trying to have additional influence in that area, uh, that's a move against Jordan, correct? No. That is uh, um, unrelated to Jordan. The the goal of Erdogan, who was elected with 53% of the vote, both in the parliament and in his personal race. So no runoff? No runoff, unfortunately. And he... I mean, he was coronated, and you will see now, and the presidency has uh, much more power, even though in his case it doesn't matter because he will assume almost all the power. And you can be sure there will be payback for the political opponents, et cetera. As you know, he arrested more than 100,000 people after the coup, and he has continued to arrest people. Uh, the, The economy in Turkey is in deep trouble. And so he will create diversions. He's engaging in outreach all over the world in terms of trying to spread an Islamic Muslim Brotherhood-based message. He is Muslim Brotherhood-oriented. Uh, that is his ideology. And he's building, as I've reported here, 17,000 mosques around the world with a radical message in Europe and South America, even the U.S. Um, the, the uh, But Erdogan is... Um, is interested in Jerusalem, as he told me, because it's part of the caliphate. It was part of the Ottoman Empire. He sees himself as rebuilding the Ottoman Empire. And Jerusalem was a critical part of that. And the sultan sat there, the uh, caliph uh, of Jerusalem. And he he told me once, he said, we ruled for 400 years. We kept the peace there. We da, 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 da. And kept referencing this uh, this historical context, and he has been pouring money, and so have so many others. But the interesting thing to me this week was that the Palestinians, Jordanians, and Saudis complained to Israel that it's not doing enough to stop Turkish infiltration in East Jerusalem, right. and that they are buying uh, properties, they're helping people, they're giving out money. Um, during Ramadan, they, they were uh, giving out um, financial subsidies to people. And so that their influence is growing, and this is something that they see as a threat, just as Israel should. So that's why I say, that's why it appeared to be against Jordan. Isn't Jordan generally uh, you know, perceived as the one that controls the Muslim sites, or at least oversees the uh, the walks control of the Muslim sites? In, uh, they in- do. It, it, it has been designated, but also Saudi Arabia, Morocco, all of our descendants of uh, Muhammad, they also claim... Uh, some special status in Jerusalem and concern, but uh, Jordan, which occupied Jerusalem, as you know, for 20 years and did not do anything to build it up, uh, they they do have the um, 
sort of authority over the waqf and uh, and that's important to Israel because they they seek stability and uh, have a you know generally a responsible role. But Turkey's goal is is not about what the others do. It's how he envisions himself and the future. Just as the Iranians are trying to rebuild the Persian Empire, he's trying to build a, a, a Turkish Empire, the Ottoman Empire, and this is a, an ideological goal beyond any specific target. In in, uh, in in Jerusalem, obviously feels that, and he says it all the time about the Zionist state. So he funds he funds and arranges the uh, protests in Harabayat and things like that. He has given money for the Al Aqsa under siege uh, rallies. Interesting. It's America's one and only Jewish moments in the morning radio program heard on listeners sponsored digital radio around the world on the web at nachumsegel.com. On the Nahum Siegel Network, and of course, on the beloved NSN app. Final day of our fundraiser. Please remember to give generously, fjbunity.org, fjbunity.org. So what's Israel's move? I mean, you know, Netanyahu has an interesting relationship with Erdogan, wouldn't you say? I mean, what would be their move in this case? In fact, Israel is basically telling the three of them, Jordan, Saudi Arabia, and the PA, that this is not nearly as big a problem as they think it is. I don't know that Israel has said that. Have you seen something where Israel has said that Turkey's Isra- involvement is-, is not a, a serious problem? Israeli officials are downplaying the problem. While they admitted to, to Haaretz that Jordan complained of threatening Turkish activities as much as a year ago, the problem has since diminished. Yes, yeah, so the answer is that it has increased again, and I do think that all along Israel has not paid enough attention to it and the um, and to the general infusion of funds coming from the outside to study the real estate. It's something we have urged them to do for years. And uh, I would have to say that I think that, I mean, they get better information. They know the facts. The question is, are they paying attention to it? And and are they really taking it seriously enough? I I have uh, long complained about it. It's it's surprising to see that they uh, downplay the concern about Turkey. about the, the complaints about Saudi Arabia and the others who are investing money. They're, they're, they talked about $250 million infusion into Jerusalem by these various parties. <laughs> so everyone's playing the same game, basically. <laughs> well, everybody's playing a game. I don't know if it's the same one. Well, it seems like Turkey and Saudi Arabia, it's a similar game, though. Well, parallel. They're not, they're not playing together. Right, not, They're not playing together. against each other right, in some right. respects. Correct. They're playing separate games with the same type of activity, the same type of rule. But I don't think Saudi Arabia wants to take it over. I think Saudi Arabia wants to have influence. They, they of course, have back the Wahhabi movement, and that's also um, you know expansive movement, reaching out to various places in different countries. But it's certainly not as been, been as aggressive, and it, if anything, I think it's been diminished, whereas Turkey is increasingly aggressive in its outreach and, and it's uh, seeking to play a role on, in a larger and larger sphere. They, they build bases from Afghanistan, Indonesia, to the Sudan and and the Somalia, and of course, playing a big role in, in Syria today, fighting the Kurds and uh, bombing along their own borders, uh, their borders with Syria. It's the primary area of their involvement. I seem to ask you this question like every three months. Is there still trade and tourism from Israel to Turkey? Yes, the tourism is down, but trade continues. You know, it shows that the people want to continue the, these right. contacts. Um, yes, the, the um, tourism, especially Israeli tourism to Turkey, which is the primary tourism, not that many Turks visit Israel. Um, they do come for business. They do come 
periodically, but uh, the number of Israelis who visited Turkey was huge, and it has, been, it has diminished and continues to diminish uh, regularly. What do you think of the visit of Prince William, and specifically the fact that there was no meeting between him and the mayor of Jerusalem? Well, the visit itself was, I think, very successful. Got a lot of visibility. He donned the yarmulke and went to the hotel. He did many things, which I know uh, must have given a lot of people agita at 10 Downing Street. And, <laughs> and, you know, they they didn't like it when I got Prince Charles to his father to go to visit his mother's grave, grandmother's grave, which uh, Prince William did as well, his great-grandmother's grave, who was designated a uh, righteous Gentile because of her own saving Jews during World War II, a Jewish family in her apartment, in her place in in Athens. And she asked to be buried on the, the Harazetim, on the Mount of Olives. And he went to, to visit uh, that grave as did his father. And then, of course, it was a round of criticism, but the you know the he, he refers to it as occupied territory, et cetera. And with, in regard to the mayor, he didn't want to meet with him in Jerusalem because he felt that was a recognition. And I think Mayor Barkat rightly said then he wouldn't meet. Right, it's a principled stand. The meetings with the prime minister and the president were in Jerusalem, right? Yes, but because he's the mayor of Jerusalem, that right. that, that was the subtlety they didn't like. That's the subtlety of the recognition of uh, Jerusalem and. Do you have any idea if the story's true that I saw that there were rocks thrown at his car? I do not know whether that is true. And also, do we know anything about his meeting with the PA? Like, who, do you, who did he even meet with at this point? I assume Mahmoud Abbas is not available, or am I wrong about that? Uh, Abbas is available. Oh, he was meeting with other people, but uh, I, I, don't, I don't remember who, who they said that he met with. I don't know why I thought he was still in the hospital, Abbas, or, or incapacitated, or not, not available for public No, he's stuff. still making statements and... Uh, He's not doing much, but he's, he's certainly available. So the United States wants oil imports from Iran to end, right? What What's happening now? I mean, ha- haven't most of these around the world ended? Are there certain countries that are reluctant to do so? So, um, but, but I do remember, by the way, just you just uh, triggered something. That yeah. a, a Rivlin, President Rivlin, when he met with Prince William, asked him to take a message to message Abbas, of peace, right. a message of peace. Right. So the likelihood is he probably did meet with him. Right. Uh, uh, so, and your question was about the uh, oil, um, oil imports from Iran. The U.S. Yeah. is making this demand they stop. I, I, I was under the impression that they're almost nearly all stopped. Or is that totally wrong? No, this is what the, the new law. Uh, a, you're right. It is. Uh, it is stopped. So the OFAC is uh, the Treasury Department has issued. Um, uh, new regulations that just just came out. Uh, the Office of Foreign Assets uh, Control—that's what OFAC stands for—and uh, they revoked certain Iran-related licenses, which provided for limited sanctions relief under the JCPOA. And they amended it now to remove those things. So there's giving a deadline, and for different industries that, that have to stop doing business with. Um, with Iran, and that includes now by I think oil oil con- all oil contracts have to be stopped by November fourth right. this year, and uh, some of the previously authorized transactions are now not authorized, and this includes foreign companies, and the um, uh, they also amended the to, to narrow the general licenses about um, carpets and 
other Iran-originated uh, foodstuffs, and that these also have to wind down. So it is another step. We've seen more companies, banks, foreign banks, pulling out of uh, doing business Iran. The Rial, the Iranian currency, which we periodically discussed. I remember we talked about it at the end of last year, and it was like 45000 right. the past year. And now it went in one day from 75000 to the U.S. dollar to 87000 to the U.S. dollar. And, in fact, it's over 90000 to the dollar right now. The, uh, and the drought is worsening. The demonstrations inside the country are growing, and the people are, are yelling death to Palestine mocking the administration, the government, because they say death to Israel, and um, marchers in the bazaar yelling death to the Supreme Leader, we will not die for Iran, we will not die for Hamas or Hezbollah, we will die for Iran. The, um, the, the, this is a serious demonstration, they crack down on it, and the, um, the, the, they are finding that the people are under tremendous pressure now economically, given the drought, which is covering half the country, the increased sanctions, the new sanctions that are going to kick in, and the um, a general decline in the economy and the feeling the government, is, as they said in these demonstrations, are paying, are spending the money defending Syria and defending the Gaza and not taking care of their own people. Yeah. So I, I think these things are serious. I think we should do more to support them. And we see that Iran continues its aggressive stands outside, like in Syria, where it's building up the local militia near Israel's border, but keeping them local, uh, whereas the, the Syrian army is expanding and supposedly took over uh, an abandoned U.N. post on the Golan, which is a serious issue, uh, if it's confirmed. And the, uh, you know, they are moving in this whole area, as I said, bombing the Syrian army, bombing near the Jordanian border, various uh, places where the rebels continue to hold forth. And Israel is very concerned, obviously, about any encroachment by the Syrian forces, certainly by the Iranian-backed forces, uh, on its own borders, and they have to keep the Golan as a buffer from the instability, the threats, the terrorists in in Syria. So these are very important, you know, stories that appear to be marginal uh, are not at all. Israel hit another arms depot near the Syrian um, um, air base close to Damascus, and there's reports that there's an understanding with Russia that Israel not hit Syrian targets, Syrian army targets and Russian army targets, but would have freedom then to go after these other um, uh, the terrorist groups, Iranian elements, etc., and especially the importation of arms destined for Hezbollah or for Iranian militias. Because the Russians don't want them there, and I've talked about this for years, saying that it's it's ultimately not in their interest, and Iran and Russia, while temporarily partners, would ultimately end up being rivals. On the economic front in Iran, I mean, they're desperate for a change of leadership. The problem is that if there was a change in leadership, the new leadership wouldn't do much differently than uh, wouldn't do things much differently than their current leadership. Well, it depends on who the leadership would be. You're right. There's nobody coming in on a white horse and a flash of lightning and it's going to change Iran. But to me, the real regime change that is talked about will take place from the people. And that's why we have to do more to support them. Look, the Iranians, you know, provoke all the time the regime and and do so little to pay attention to the needs of the people. They opened up a place near Isfahan for... 
uh, enrichment of uranium, and supposedly this barrel of yellow cake was sent there already to, um, they're saying, well, we're below our level and we need to, we're, we're allowed to enrich to a certain level, but it really a message to say, well, if you don't, you know, go along if you don't stay with the JCPOA. We have our options to be able to um, um, immediately resume our enrichment. We don't know how much of it is really going on anyway. But the the fact is that Iran's internal record is somebody I saw wrote a piece in, a very important thought piece on this, and, and it says how many tens of thousands of people the government has executed and six million people into exile and taken away the basic freedoms and, and, and has killed Americans, a lot of Americans in the, in the course of it. And how, how many people here operated on their behalf or were fooled, were propagandized, were enlisted uh, to aid Iran to make its case here in the United States? And JCPOA, I think, was one of the results of that um, influence. So the the uh, now the administration's uh, cracking down on the imports and on the sanctions, increasing the sanctions. You see that the Europeans are increasingly going along with it because they have no choice. And all their threats that they would subsidize the governments, that they would stand up for anybody who gets um, who is impacted by the sanctions of you know their co- companies from their countries. It's all coming to naught. Yeah, They're not putting up a nickel. They folded a lot quicker than I thought they would. Um, right. Could, uh, move for a second to this deal that that uh, Victor Lieberman is uh, is negotiating. Who wants to build this seaport in Cyprus, and why is it being linked to the return of bodies of Israeli soldiers? So, uh, Victor Lieberman, who's the defense minister, uh, is proposing that because they don't want to build a port in Gaza because there would be no control, he is suggesting that uh, in Limassol, in Cyprus, they would build a port, which would be a clearing place where all the goods coming into Gaza would be shipped via this port. There would be, I guess, security checks there. And then it's a short boat ride. It's a 45-minute flight from Cyprus to 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 Israel or a short boat ride that cleared goods could be taken to Israel. And it's meant to alleviate the plight, you know, the constrictions and restrictions uh, that uh, the international community complains about. It's really a... Hello? Malcolm, you there? Hello? Oh, boy. Seem to have lost uh, the connection, the phone connection here. All right, well, we'll try to reconnect. Trying to reconnect here at JM and the AM. Weekly update. Yeah, Malcolm, not sure what happened there, but you're back know. on. It's something they didn't like we said. Yeah. But the, uh... Usually we blame Bezek, but you're not in Israel. Right. So so anyway, it's not a negotiated deal because it's really one-sided Israeli proposal so far, and the Palestinians have not given their okay, even though it seems that the government in Cyprus, which is very friendly to Israel, did agree. Is Hamas on the other side of the negotiating table or the PA when you say Palestinians? Well, in this case, if it's to be the Gaza, would have to be both. But Israel doesn't negotiate with Hamas. So this is and likely, of course, that they're using this as leverage to say we're not going to allow any improvement until the bodies of the MIAs are returned. So this is likely not going to happen, right? 
Like, you wouldn't bet that this is actually going to go uh, I would say it's less than 50% right now. Yeah, that I get. Uh, what do you think of this birthright thing where, uh, where certain groups infiltrated uh, birthright groups to try and educate them regarding uh, Israeli occupation, treatment of Palestinians, etc., cetera, etc.? Cetera? Well, this is a part of an increasingly aggressive campaign, as we've seen on the campuses and elsewhere, by groups that call themselves, if not now, or uh, Jews for Justice in Palestine, whatever the groups right. who are extremely anti-Israel, hostile, and uh, who uh, went to the airport to talk to kids going on birthright. And remember, many of those who go on birthright have no education. Right. They don't know what to answer, Correct. become vulnerable, right. and we've had infiltration of birthright in, in isolated cases, they do more to screen it, and you know, overwhelmingly, it has had a very positive impact. But uh, this infiltration, and then you had some people who broke away from a group this week to go to the West Bank, and you know, the, there's no foolproof way of uh, preventing it. So they're trying now at the airport to give out literature and stuff to influence uh, and um, try to counter the impact of the of the trip by uh, their propaganda. and it, But what does is raise doubts. So the young people then say, well, why aren't we seeing this one? Why aren't we seeing that? Or, And the truth is that they give them, they try to give them a balanced view, but it is a birthright trip not to uh, see the PA, but to see Israel. Yep. And there's hardly enough time for them to do that. Uh, two more quick things. Um, Bougie Herzog, who's now the head of the Jewish Agency, he calls the intermarriage situation a magefa, a plague. I don't know. To me, to me, it didn't seem either inaccurate or inappropriate. Yet he had to really step it back to a point where it looked ridiculous. Any thoughts? Yes, I do believe that's his view, and uh, you know that he is the uh, son of the former president, grandson of the former chief rabbi of a, uh, of a chief rabbi of Israel and of Britain. Uh, comes from a very distinguished uh, lineage. He is. Uh, and he's very traditional in his own views, and I think that there, you know, the pressure that came down on him, which which seems to, is part of the general trend today to to dismiss the significance of intermarriage and its impact on the demography of the Jewish people. And he was simply saying, look, this is a, a really critical issue, and we should be addressing it. In Israel, uh, you know, I talked to them about some of the issues. You saw that uh, Bennett came out with the idea of uh, Jewish singles right. uh, conferences in Israel. Right. Trying to Great help. idea. Great idea. Thank you. And no, um, the... Uh, uh, you know, and then the reaction is negative. Why would they, why would they react negatively? What are we saying? That assimilation and intermarriage is a good thing, which we heard somebody, an author, addressing the right. reform. Uh, right. Graduation. Convocation. Right. Graduation. Um, extols intermarriage to, to applause. You know, it, 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 in a way, I understand people who have this have to come to terms with it. And rather than looking at the shortcomings, you know, say, well, we have to deal with it, and we do have to acknowledge it. Right. You know, it, it is uh, so widespread. And uh, Bougie Herzog coming so early in his, you know, just after his nomination, right. <laughs> it was a very sensitive uh, time and issue. He is uh, he's certainly somebody who's not insensitive to the diaspora. He spent a lot of time here. Uh, he's, uh, we've been friends for many years. I, I respect him, and I think he'll do a good job, and all these things, this will blow over. Agreed, and your presentation just now about his opinion on this issue very well said, and I have to keep that in mind when I address certain crowds. Uh, also, and, and finally, because I'm terrible time pressure this morning, 
Finally, um, we have to continue to point out the cooperation between the U.S. and Israel. Tunnels, hacking, tanks, right? This new tank deal that has a lot of Israeli technology. Right. The cooperation on all these areas. No coincidence that all these stories are out in the same week, and it's amazing. We have to th- we have to really be thankful. The 4th of July you knows this Wednesday. No greater friend for Israel in its history than the United States of America. And I, I think sometimes we take that for granted as well. Right. And when and, and, and it isn't that this that it was done because of this particular week. It's because this is true almost every week right. of the number of areas of cooperation that go on between Israel and the United States is mind boggling. You know, I, I used to report on some of those things that, but the truth is that they're they're just collaborating on everything, on as you said, on tunnel detection systems and on joint funding of, of other uh, research, and not just in military areas, by the way, in technical, medical, right. other areas as well. And, and it's uh, really a remarkable untold story. It's not something you will ever see in the New York Times. By the way, Indonesia lifted the ban on Israeli tourists, too. Nice. It's something that you're not likely to see in the... In the and the press and in general, headline when right. a major Muslim country opens its borders to Israeli tourists. That's great to know. Maybe time for a Jewish unity initiative there. Malcolm, thank you. Have a wonderful Shabbos. We'll speak yeah, next too. week. Malcolm Holine is executive vice chairman of the Conference of Presidents of Major American Jewish Organizations. Joins us Fridays for the weekly update. Yes, he'll be here next week, please God. And we will continue with the weekly update. I think the only, I told Malcolm earlier, I think the only Friday in July that there's no weekly update is the day we fly back from Israel, which will be Erev Shabbos Nachman. Aside from Erev Shabbos Nachman, we should be here every Friday in July.